shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim, shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim, shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim, shine forth. Praise God. Awesome. Well, thank God for for that. Thank God for everyone was blessed in their own way by the grace of God. And that's how God does it. You know, uh, we minister and God takes the ministration and uh, administers it to everybody in uh, in their own way. Uh, I'm trusting God. I believe everyone was blessed. Uh, praise God. Amen. So now we are going to uh, continue. So, you know, I think uh, we've done, we spent a lot of time in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we are not finished it yet. Um, We're not done it yet. Um, but what we'll do is that we'll go and start First Corinthians today. Um, and journey in Corinthians for a little bit. Praise the name of the Lord. Until... Uh, until future notice, until the Lord moves us another place. <laughs> Amen. So uh, we're going to be seeing the uh, book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this hour. Thank you, O oh God, because uh, you have indeed desired to bless us today. You will bless us. You will bless us. You will bring forth light and understanding to the simple. You will visit us with light. You will visit us with understanding. You will grace your people, my Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alright, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, from verse 1 I read. Oh, actually, Iano, help us read. Okay. <laughs> Um, so First Corinthians one verse one. Verse one. Just keep reading, and I'll stop you. At okay. Some point. Yeah. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gifts, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say it. I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non effect. Okay, so pause there. So this first Corinthians chapter one, uh, there are two blocks about it. We just read the first block, first verse one to seventeen, that was dealing with something, some specific things. Uh, addressing some specific things concerning the Corinthian church. And then the second block of it, yeah, most of the second block of it is not talking about the how God uses wisdom as against the foolishness of this world. Or the wisdom, his full, God's foolishness as against the wisdom of this world. So you can see that the book, that, that chapter 1, Paul had to address some things to the church of Corinth first. And um, in fact, <laughs> the church of Corinth, at some point, Paul said, ye are yet canal. You get me? Ye are yet canal. So it means that they had some additional issues in that church. That some of the other churches, if you see, of all the books, you know, when, they, when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he wrote about six chapters. So it was a shorter letter. When you see the letter to the Corinthians, the First, just First Corinthians alone is like how many chapters? Let me see. It's like fifteen chapters. Just the First Corinthians. The Second Corinthians is about similar to almost fifteen chapters. Voluminous. It means that there are many things that have to be dealt with <laughs> in the Corinthian church. There are many things that have to be dealt with in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was also the church where they would take Holy Communion and drink the wine. You get drunk, get drunk on the wine. No kind of people. <laughs> that kind of people. That's who Paul was relating with here. And so a point came that the Corinthian church began to have that. Uh, what I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, there's a word I'm looking for. Just you know that 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 thought that. You know, that division, there was a contention among the church because of their carnality, right? Of Paul, Apollos, who else was there? Okay, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Cephas is Peter. And some others will say, I am of Christ. You see, they even look at the foolish comparison. Cephas was Peter, that's, uh, that's his other name. So some people will say, oh, I am of Christ. Some people will say, oh, I am of Peter. Some people will say, oh, I am of Paul. Now, first of all, Peter was not among them, but generally they knew Peter was like the, the, main, the main kind of leader of the apostles, right? Some listened to Paul because Paul had revelation. Some listened to Apollos. I think Apollos was also a very good doctrinal establisher. Now, in all of these things, what was, what was, what was the Bible here saying? Paul was saying that, Essentially, this that kind of attitude or divisions is actually a form of flesh of carnality. Yes, it is a is a is, is it still means is a dimension of carnality that is still among the brethren 
of Corinth. There is one thing I like about the book of Corinthians. Because of how kind of in a sense low they were. It was just an interesting church, honestly. They, they were people who were hearing righteousness, right? They were hearing righteousness, but their behaviors were still babyish. So imagine, so imagine a church who they subscribe to hearing Paul and doctrine, but a lot of their characters and behaviors were still milk dimension of the world, baby dimension of the world. So, the book is so rich, the chapters are so rich in that it's able to capture Paul was talking to people who are yet carnal, babes in Christ, and coming up. And Paul was also administering teaching to them who are in Christ, who are moving to the next dimension. Praise God. So, as we, as we dive into this book and journey through this book of Corinthians, it's going to be meaty. Praise God. It's going to be meaty because, but I feel that the Lord has set us on this course that when we come out of it on the other side, we are going to have a lot of more exercise and tensile strength in the, in the realm of Christ. Amen. Yes. So because what Paul labored in the book of First Corinthians and Second Corinthians was a labor that culminated in, in, in chapter 13 of whom the first Corinthians, when he began to talk about charity, which is the end of Christ. Amen. Uh, so are we ready for labor? This, this is the labor. This is the <laughs> labor. This, this is the labor of doctrine, opening up doctrine of Christ. Amen. And Corinthians, you know, Ephesians, Ephesians is like a good summary, summary of all the dimensions of Christ. That's the book of Ephesians. But Corinthians is like a deep dive. It's a meaty book concerning the precept upon precept, the precept upon precept, the line upon line, the line upon line of the dictates of Christ. Amen. All right. So with that introduction, let me, let's, I'm going to read from verse 10 to begin to teach now. Verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So the end of this journey is to bring us into the same what? The same mind and the same judgment. In God, God has the one mind and the same judgment. How do I know? That was evidence in the, in the conversation of creation. Right? That was evidence in the conversation of creation. How many of them say, let us make man in our image and likeness? All of them say the same thing. And when, when I mean the all of them, I'm talking about the trinity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. All that dimension of God. They all came into the same conclusion. Meaning the same mind. The same judgment. So as the as the doctrine of Christ begins to bear forth in our souls, one thing it will begin to erect or build is the same mind, the same judgment. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. 
For it has been declared unto me, verse 11, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say it. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And the problem is that all those three people that I mentioned, they are all of Christ. <laughs> you know, the Paul, the Apollos, and the Cephas. <laughs> you get me? They are all in agreement, they are all under Christ. But so it means that it's men who are doing the thing, men who are arranging that thing. <laughs> that I am a poor, I am a Cephas, I am a Apollos. There's always say I am of Christ. But all of them, if you ask Cephas, who are you of? Cephas say, me, I am of Christ. If you ask Paul, who are you of? Paul will say, me, I am of Christ. Apollos, the same thing. So those things are carnal things that come into minds as, you get me, as, as babies who journey. Even in Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. Now verse 13 says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? So it means that immediately Paul has established it's not Paul, it's not about Paul. Clearly, it's about Christ. Amen? It's about who? It's about Christ. Right? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crippus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, it means that the beginning of... The beginning of the gospel is the preaching of the cross. Amen. The beginning of what? Of the gospel is what? Is the preaching of the cross. I'll, I'll show you. I'll prove that to you. Let's see. Um, let me see. Um, actually, it's the next chapter. First Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, Yanni, you can help us read from verse 1 to 6. Yes. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Albeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Praise God. So Paul was saying, the, when the first thing I look for, the foundation of the gospel, the first thing I look for is what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul here was describing the milk of the word of God. Now so later on, he now says, how be it? Nevertheless, meaning there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's another grade. There's another movement upward. How be it? But when I, my brother, when I, I came, when I first came, I didn't come 
with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I didn't come teaching revelation. I came declaring unto you the testimony of God. For what was that testimony of God? The cross. That was the cross. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the beginning. Amen. If that has not been, if that work has not been uh, ingrained in a soul, then there is no need for revelation. That's the beginning of the work. That when when they see you as a Christian, you understand the power of the cross, and not only that, your role in bearing the cross. I die daily. That the cross is not a fun fair. <laughs> the cross is also for us to also die daily. Do you know why? Do you know why that needs to be established? When they start teaching you Christ, many a times it seems as though they want to kill you. You see all these testimonies you are giving about malice, forgiveness. Why is it only you that are disturbing? Do you get me? Sister uh, Stella's example, if it was the other shoes and it was you that they were praising all the time and maybe the other person who is not an unbeliever, she would just be, she, would, she won't talk to you again. <laughs> she would just, for years, they would just hold the malice. <laughs> but you, they, they react you to pray. They react you to let it go. They react you to take it like that. <laughs> Are you saying that? So if you have not first believed on the cross, that there is preciousness in dying, you will not be ready to take up all those dyings. Do you get me? All those crucifications. They are crucifying us daily. It's from crucifixion to crucifixion. And crucifixion is a glorious thing. Praise God. Amen. Now, it may, it may not seem like, that's why it's the call, you call it foolishness. Later you see that God called it foolishness. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. It may not seem like that. It may seem foolish, not so. We are always, we are dying daily. We are bearing about the cross of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, why is it only me? Why can't God also judge my enemies and judge the unbelievers who are causing this trouble? Now, if we don't behave, if if what's the opposite of dying? Let me start there. Living. You get me? And there's a world standard of living. Right? Which is that you backbite to get ahead, you are compete to get ahead, you do all these things to get ahead. Now, it may seem as though people are prospering by it, but why do they never stop? Even though you are prospered, you get you have cheated and you have prospered, you still want to cheat more to prosper more. Why does the hunger, the, 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 this in, isn't satiable? Nobody has ever gotten to a place where he says he's no longer interested in cheating, doing evil that he has been doing since. <laughs> Do you get me? Amen? There is always something more that is an insatiable thing, something more that they are going for. 
So God looks at it and says that the solution is not to help you kill your enemies to get ahead all the time because you will never get tired of getting ahead. It's not a satiable desire in the flesh. I'll put it in another word. If we are in a number, all of us in this room here, in this minute, this, this talk here, all of us are going in one direction. And that direction has no satiable end. And we have to kill each other to get to the next level in that direction. When God wants to save one of us, He won't help you. For example, He won't help me kill all of you so I can get ahead. Rather, what He will do is that I stop drawing my sword. Though everybody else will kill me, say, ah, you, you dropped your sword, who will kill you. <laughs> they get me. Though everybody else will attack me and kill me. But after they've killed me, they will think about it. Ah, why did Pastor James not fight back? You'll be a shock. Because what is 100% of the time, what do people do? They fight back. Are you seeing salvation? God, God went the opposite direction. Because everybody was going in one direction, and that direction was going to destruction. He that killeth with his sword shall be killed with his sword. You will kill somebody and get ahead. Somebody else will kill you and get ahead. And everybody will just be killing and back and killing each other, and they just be piling and dying. So God now decided that there is another way of salvation. Let one person start it. Jesus was the first scapegoat. He started it. They will slap him, he will turn, he will not move. They will flog him. All the people who were witnessing his death, they were getting converted. Many of them, many of right, those who were his disciples who had who liked him but they were quiet. All of them were being saved. <laughs> they went, what they were witnessing was what? Was salvation, was saving them. Ah uh-uh. What's going on? He's not responding. If it's me, if it's Peter, for example, you get me. Peter, ah, Peter would have done some things. You know that is, I don't know why he was even carrying sword in that garden of Gethsemane. They should have warned him since. <laughs> you know, your master is not carrying sword. You are carrying sword for what? Did he ask you? <laughs> so, yeah, you see nature. So, by nature. So, Jesus did something different. And what Jesus did shook the conscience. Till today, is shaking the conscience of many. Shaking the conscience of many. You will see that there are some people who, maybe they've done all manners of evils in the past. But one day, when Jesus captures them, they are some of the best Christians you ever find. I remember one time, somebody in our local church center said a video of one general who was a, who was a soldier in all this, one of these African nations. Who is to raise child soldiers to fight their militia battles? How many children he has killed? How many families he has killed or whatever? He said one day the Lord appeared to him. Right? And and then he repented and is now a pastor. You know, but there is still a lot of tribunal that maybe is try is he trying to be a pastor to avoid persecution? But no. But the the guy is really he's not just that he's a he's retrib he's what what's the word he is he, um What's the word I'm looking for? Is it retribution? Re- retribution, something like you know that there's that word that when you go back and pay back, 
Retribution. Restitution. I don't know if I'm restitution. Right. Restitution. restitution. Is a retribution something? Restitution. Yeah. <laughs> retribution sounded like you are shooting back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's restitution. So it's uh, what a restitution. So the guy, the pastor, he's not a pastor. He operates children's schools. Right? Classrooms. He's trying to restitute for all his evil. That's now you know the genuity of what he's doing. And then also, he's even on the panel of the government for stopping child soldiers. So he's doing something. He's doing a lot, actually, a lot. What did he, what happened to that man? The man found out that this thing is not going anywhere. Maybe, you know, when they would have started, we are fighting for our tribe to defeat this bad nation. They now realize that actually amongst the tribe, people don't like each other. <laughs> and you now see another tribe that's supposed to be fighting with you before you know, it goes on the government side. And then some people on the government go on your side. And everybody just killing each other and killing each other. There's no end. In war, nobody wins. And actually, what Satan has taught us is warfare where nobody wins. You may gain temporal battle victories, but you will never win the war. I am yet to see a wicked man who prevailed. Even though he appeared in a short term, he was prevailing. I didn't get it. I'm here to see a wicked man that at the end of all his life journey, he prevailed. <laughs> I am here to see it. Neither am I, am I here to see a kingdom who were so evil and they prevailed. Egypt prevailed for over 400 years enslaving the people of Israel. But they still died. Till today, they've not recovered from that shock. Till today. They have not recovered from that shock that God shocked them. <laughs> the nation has not recovered. <laughs> Seriously. They've not recovered. Babylon came and prevailed. But how many days did it take to conquer Babylon? Who remembers Daniel? One night, not even days, one night. Where they were drinking wine. Using the vessels of Jerusalem to drink wine and be drunk. Then all of a sudden, they just saw something writing on the wall. Mene, mene. They're not confused. What's going on? They now called all the wise men of Babylon. They said, What? They said, No, no, we don't understand. But there's one boy who can interpret this thing. They now went to go and call Daniel. What did Daniel say? The Lord is saying that this night, this very night, he didn't say tomorrow. He didn't say in one week time. He didn't say that Persia is coming in two weeks. He said this night that people are drinking this thing, this drunk, this wine. This night. <laughs> the kingdom shall be taken away from you. So, and if anyone goes the way of the wicked, and that is the wisdom of Satan. He has always been his wisdom from the beginning. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It means he projected the good first. You can prosper. You can get ahead. <laughs> you can get this. 
You can be like God. Why is he getting all these things? And then you initially you'll be doing the evil that he wants to get the good. And you seem as though everything is going well, but later on somebody will overtake you. And later on somebody will overtake that person. So when you now really understand that the trajectory of a wicked life is death, with sight and understanding, you will now know that that crucifixion path that we are so running away from is actually the only path of safety. Only, when I say only, only path of safety. Only path of safety. Praise God. So, the, the cross is the foundation of the Christian life. The cross is the foundation of the Christian life. When the cross is your foundation, the manner of Christ's life, which is a cross life, a death life, will be easy for you to live. Can you kill a dead man? You can't. The wisdom is that Christ is a dead man living. He's dead, boys alive. <laughs> dead in that you can't kill him, boys alive. Oh, death, where is your sting? That's, that's, that's the eternal salvation. When you are dead, but alive. Do you know what that means? You are dead to this world. You are dead to every stimuli from this world. But you are alive to God. Praise God. That's a very high statement I just made. It's the end of this whole journey. You are a stone to this world. Ice cold. When things like people getting ahead of you don't even move you. When things like people offending you that's a, don't even feel you don't even feel it. Yeah. Go ahead, Yanni. Um, I don't even know if it's a question or maybe for you to just emphasize it because it's something that I believe for my soul has been having a hard time accepting that it's actually a reality mm -hmm. that in the days of our flesh yes. I guess the point where these things don't move me like yes is, is, is that actually God's plan for us that and is God's plan for you it's a journey and that is not because what we used to hear is that sanctification is a process that is when you get to heaven that it kind of gets completed but it mm -hmm. looks like I can have it even while I'm here yes on this earth with all the yes uh, Yes, Jesus had it while he was on the earth. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that he who says he abided in him ought also to walk, even as Jesus walked. In fact, the whole purpose for Jesus coming to walk his walk on earth is to show man that a man can walk on earth like that. 
and our own is even easier. Those Jews were brutal. I always used to wonder, you know, when maybe they caught the woman in adultery or this one, they, they want to stone her. People in the market, I wonder, is it that they carry stones in their pocket? How quickly do they find stones to want? To, it's like, you see how wicked those people are? <laughs> they just have stones hanging by. Some people maybe put it, you know how you have wallets? Some people have stones that was the wallet. You get me? <laughs> Looking for who to kill. That's how brutal that age is. Yeah, reason sometimes Jesus, they want to stone him. Because it was not yet his time, he'll be able to escape them. It's even easier to live. <laughs> because people will be imagine those Pharisees, they were trying to offending him day and night. Day and night. Day and night. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. It's not easy, but it's possible. Yes. It's not easy at all. But it's possible. Can we see a witness? Is it that that the what they are trying to turn you into is a stone? Do you get me? Is a stone. I remember what it makes me remember is when I used to maybe back home in Nigeria, we used to sometimes me and my some my friends in the compound there. We were playing soccer. We were playing soccer. And, you know, sometimes when, we, when you see maybe the ball enters like the trees area or this, this little flower place, you now see an ant or a mo- mosquito or cockroach or whatever. You want to kill it. But no, but no time have I ever seen a stone and want to kill a stone. Because to me, why? The stone is already dead. It's not moving. <laughs> You kill things that are moving, that are creeping. <laughs> Do you get me? Own a grass. If you are playing on a grass field, the grass can wither because running up and down on the grass. But rather, if you run up and down and hit a stone, it's you that will suffer. Praise the name of the Lord. And not the stone. So, are you saying that what the cross... The cross does. The cross is a dimension of work that will make you dead to this world. You will lose every kind of sensitivity to flesh. Again, it's not easy. But it's possible in the days of your flesh. Amen. Let's see zero in on that. Let's see. Uh, Yana, help us read from verse 18. You now see that thing I was talking about, about God's wisdom going the crossway versus the world's wisdom going the way of, you know, ju- eating each other up to get yeah. ahead. From verse 18. Okay. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish mm-hmm. foolishness. Yes. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudence. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. He pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God hmm. and, the, and wisdom the wisdom of, of God. God. Jesus. Because the foolishness of God is far wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Are you seeing that word? You know, so the Jews, the Jews require a sign, meaning they look for power. The Greeks, they look for wisdom. So you know, what is what did Paul say? Christ is the power of God. And then what? And the wisdom of God. Do you know what? The, and Christ is one. What he's trying to say is that the power of God is the wisdom of God. So there's something I'm trying to point out there. The preaching of Christ is the power of God. The knowledge inside Christ, how Christ lives his life, that manner of living that Christ lives by is actually the power of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, that's Jew and Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, revealed, taught, ministered, preached, revealed. It comes by revelation, open to your hearts also. From faith to faith. It means this when it when you want to discuss the power of God when you are discussing the power of God you are actually talking about the knowledge in Christ praise the name of the Lord when you are discussing the power of God you are actually talking about what the knowledge inside Christ now this, this definition must be corrected in sense you know, when we think about power, we think about He's a miracle-walking God. He's a miracle-walking God. He's the Alpha and Omega. We think about power as His physical movement. And that one is God don't move His hand like this. That's all. But when you ask God, what is your power? What is your power means your strength. What is your inner strength? He will tell you is his word. The Lord God who looketh upon his word daily to do it. That's his, the source of his power. That's where he receives strength from. Are you getting me? So, but it looks foolish. Preaching looks foolish. You will all you all of you who are just talk, 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 no action. <laughs> are you seeing foolishness? It was not I wonder I'm foolish, we should be doing things. <laughs> it just looks foolish to any kind of mind. Why why talk so much? Let's see the evidence of your Christianity. Or sometimes, maybe for people who are in ministry, like us, so let's see the evidence of your ministry. <laughs> let's see the evidence. Because we still calculate evidence of power by those handwork of God, those miracles. That's what they were using to judge Jesus, the Jews. 
you claim to be Messiah, son of God, son of God. You can't even part Red Sea. <laughs> you know? I just want to argue with them. We don't say, okay, raise the dead. They will, they will shoot back. Elijah raised the dead. In fact, his bones, Elisha's bones raised the dead. Well, what have you done? <laughs> Are you seeing their mind? They how people correlate power. Power of God was working with them. The raw power of God, raw power of God was working amongst them. They were comparing him to Moses and Abraham, our father, and Moses and this, this, that, and Moses did this. <laughs> it means when if they, if they were going to if when the Son of God was manifesting His power, and they see the power that Moses manifested, they would choose whose power. They would choose Moses' power. Whereas Moses' power was a second-class power to the power that was in Jesus. Praise God. And the intensity of the power of Jesus is his mouth. His preaching. I want to make this very practical. Now, thank God for miracles and signs and wonders. Right? Somebody may be trusting God for the fruit of the womb, for example. Or maybe another scenario, just any scenario, trusting God for anything. And the Lord, by word of knowledge, by miracle, brings it to pass. One year later, the person has their baby or their house or their car. So change has happened, but it's a physical change. But yet, the person's soul has not changed one bit. Nature, behavior, character (laughs) has not changed one minute. It is difficult. In fact, let me put it this way. It is impossible to change a person's character. You will need an impossible energy to change a person's nature. That's why even us who have been learning Christ for how many years, for a long time, we still manifest our natures. Yes. There are some natures that become dogged inside you just by years of experience. Do you get me? Maybe by sometimes, most times, maybe because of what you have suffered in life. You get me? You build a shell for yourself. You become dogged in that nature. Because of maybe people have hurt you in the past. And it's not those things. Satan used those things to train us. When people hurt us, then you now say, never again in my life. <laughs> Would I allow myself? It's because I wouldn't allow it. That's what said. Those are the things. And Satan knows how to do those things. Well, train us well, because nobody wants to be hurt a second time, right? And so the, you want to learn from how the person, the first person, hurt you, so that nobody can ever hurt you again. But that's not the way of the Lord. God has taught me that 
Because in the past, I've been hurt because I'm a, I'm a giving kind of person. I give a lot, just give, give. And some people, <laughs> not only, you know, there's different, maybe you give and maybe they just neutral, you get, they don't say thank you, nothing, just live their life. But some people, after you've given, they don't do you evil. Uh, <laughs> you don't be wondering, ah, <laughs> maybe I should not be giving again. But now, one thing I now realize in life is that if you give to 10 people, Nine of them enjoy you. But one person comes back to give thanks. Or bears fruit to you. The Lord was teaching me that because of that one person, keep giving to the ten. Is that not what happened? Jesus healed ten people. All of them went away. Only one person came back to give thanks. And to walk the lesson is that that one person is thanks enough. It gets me. That one person is reward enough for your doing good. You repay evil with good. Am I communicating? Amen. Are you seeing God's mind? So, God will always want us to keep loving. Keep put, making ourselves vulnerable. Do you get me? Keep loving. Keep making ourselves vulnerable. Keep standing in faith. Keep giving. All these things are dimensions of giving. Even forgiving is a type of giving. It's a spiritual giving. Do you know why? Do you know why it's a giving? Who hurt who? They hurt you. You are your own. No? I was on my own. They offended me. Do you get me? So who is owing who? The person who offended me is the one who is owing me. Owing me an apology. Owing me a correction. Are you saying that? So for to forgive means you've given. <laughs> it's spiritual. You've given. Somebody is owing you, but you've given. Just like if you give money, and the person doesn't pay back. And you say, don't worry, don't pay me back. You have given. That is how forgiveness is like. But it's a more spiritual dimension of it. Do you know also there are some people that they, they borrow people money. They will almost kill you if you don't if you can't pay back. They will hang you on a noose. <laughs> if you don't pay back every dollar. Of that, of that money. But that's not God's way. God will tell the people of Israel that after seven years, if somebody has not paid you back, just clear the debt by default. It's a law. It's a commandment. Are you seeing? And some people, if they give to one person, <laughs> one person, the person by mistake did not pay them back, they will never, ever give again. Are you seeing that? These are natures. This is how we are. I'm just talking about ourselves. This is how we are. And Satan uses those hearts to train us in darkness. How to lock ourselves up. We, we lock ourselves up. Even though also to God. 
that why some people will even swear that they'll never give again. So if only ghost shows up physically and tell you to give, because he has sworn oaths. <laughs> Are you seeing how you see why some things that God will tell us is very hard? It's because some things we've we've shared ourselves because of experience. This environment is called the world. Who is the god of this environment? Satan. He uses the environment to train us anyhow. Oh, don't allow yourself to just be used though like that. You have to say your own back. You have to defend, you have to stand with otherwise they'll just trample you on their feet. How do you know who told you? Well, now let me give you another side of the coin. Do you get me? As you journey with the Lord, as you journey with the Lord and begin to show the attitudes of being vulnerable to Him and His ways, there's something called judgment. The Lord will bless you with judgment. Judgment is how to handle every situation. Judgment will teach you things that you can apply to avoid scenarios. How to descend souls and manage them. Judgment will teach you all of that. <laughs> if you have judgment and you are not innocent in your heart, you become a devil. <laughs> you be manipulating people. <laughs> so the first thing, one thing you need to know is that God has an application for every situation. Do you get me? God has an application for every situation. That's why when I was talking about Mount Zion, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. When they sing that song, it says, beautiful for all situations. The joy of the whole world. God has wisdom. God has judgment. God has sense for every situation. He has the storehouse of application for every situation. But the first thing he wants you to do is to be vulnerable. Why you should be vulnerable? Do you know why? what is making you not vulnerable? You currently have your own judgment for your every situation. For example, if you've been hurt several times before and you decide to close your close-up shop <laughs> to seal yourself against anybody and everybody, is that not a judgment? That is a conclusion you've come about as a result of experience. And say, in this situation, when I meet the next person, the next guy, do you get me? That even looks resemble one of the old people. That's why, have you noticed that in our lives, our, we are old souls. Anytime we see somebody new come to us, we'll judge the person and try and compare the person with somebody that we've known before. <laughs> We are trying to place the person in a box. That is our judgment. Is those are old souls. Is Satan has raised us that way, so that we can prejudge people and kill them before they even come. So when God sends you the the right person, you already killed him and thrown him away before anything has ever happened. Praise God. 
one of the greatest judgments is why you are not yet fully developed to submit to authority. Why? Because they have judgments. <laughs> you get it? Because judgment can be applied. So if I have a judgment of a situation you are facing, and you come to me, and you apply that judgment, it's almost as you applying the God's ju- that judgment. It's almost as though you had the judgment, even though you didn't have the judgment. Praise God. I know some of you have come to me with certain matters. Don't so? And you see, the application of the judgment, you go, wow. It's almost as though you are the person, when you apply it, it's almost as though you own the judgment. Praise the name of the Lord. Yes. Amen. So, are we beginning to see how the cross, the cross is actually the wisdom of God. But to men, what is it? Foolishness. Praise God. I know we're on a mute. Every now I can hear some feedback. Let me hear some feedback. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. It's foolishness to man. Why? Because man is foolishness to a man. That so I'm hearing my echo back now. <laughs> Amen. And I that one of the things I hate the most is hearing myself. <laughs> I, hate, I don't even. <laughs> you don't feel it. Eh? I, don't, I barely listen to my own messages except I just want to figure out if I did say something right. I you will never, almost never find me listen to my own messages. <laughs> Praise God. Like, what kind of person is this? Why are you talking like this? Why is it? I can't you act normal in your life. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So, to men, getting ahead means you need to fight for yourself. You need to hustle for yourself. You need to move up. You need to, men, you got to be sharp. You got to be wise. You got to hustle. So, when you now see a fellow, do you get me? Who is meek? Who is forgiving? Who is letting things go? What does that look to you? Oh boy, you are foolish. Foolish. Slow. You are slow. You are not going anywhere in life. Uh, what they call it? NFA. No future ambition. Is it? No future ambition. Sometimes, even before people classify you, have you not already classified yourself like that? Uh, mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Where is my life even going, self? Hey, You know, you check yourself. Where is this thing going? Where is God just taking us? You don't want to kill us. Oh, yeah, don't kill me now. Kill me now. What's the point? Don't kill me. <laughs> Should I break a news to you? Yes, sir. True life begins after you've been killed. Wow. <laughs> yes. Not physically now. 
I know. <laughs> True life begins. I kid you not. I kid you not. I want to make it practical. Let me use let me use this example. I kid you not. Let's say there's a brother Luke and a brother John. Brother Luke is a very ambitious brother. And now he has gotten to a high place in his office or company. 120k a year. And as a result, he has gotten used to the standard of living. So, Brother Luke spends about $70,000 a year. Or maybe monthly, just to upkeep, because that's his standard now. He's rolling with the big boys, man. <laughs> but on the other hand, you have Brother John. Brother John is just a mere liberal. Or working in an office, you know, as an advisor or whatever. Earning one third of what Brother Luke is earning. $40,000 a year. And him and Brother Luke, they have the same degree, oh. But John just decided, you know what, this is, you know, I'm taking time, things slowly. So, for, and they've been earning this for the, like 10 years. Now, after 10 years, how much does, I'm just trying to make it practical, how much does Brother John spend? If he's been able to survive with 40000 a year for 10 years, it means that he probably spends twenty five, maybe even saves fifteen. If I mean, so he's, you get me, he's able to spend less. And he has gotten used to a more minimalistic lifestyle. Of able, he's able to live spending $20,000 a year and live comfortably. And it's over 10 years he has gotten used to that lifestyle. Whereas, Brother Luke's lifestyle has been ever increasing. He has gotten used to a lifestyle of spending $80,000, $100,000 a year. Now, if both Brother John and Brother Luke lose their job, who will suffer more? Brother Luke. Brother Luke. Uh, Luke. As you will find sometimes, the part of the Lord, they now go and kill themselves. Yeah. I mean, I want you to meet that came from Nigeria. I will now look at the story. Well, are you okay? Where I come from? If I said, you should have been saving money. I don't, I don't need much, so I don't give me $5,000 or that your water. <laughs> It intrigues me. It in so there was one I read. You know, so a couple of guys, a man now after he lost his job, he his wife it was during the downturn in 2008, he killed his family, then killed himself. I'm like, are you okay? I'm not waiting. There's EI now. There's EI. There's all this, but no, it's there. There's EI. That's you talking about him. That's his standard. Is it's a, to him? He can't go back down there. Because he has erected this glass house for himself. He can't go back down in standard. And so, you think about this. I know what I'm saying because there was a time in my life God took me through a process of down, going down in standard. To make me stronger. So, and at that time, when I was going down in standard, I thought my life would finish. <laughs> but nothing finished is a lie thank I don't those 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 two years of my life I remember those two years there is no those are the most to me the most critical building years of my life I always thank God every year every day for that for that season because this thing is, is in the heart there's something about strength in the heart passing through some adversity and seeing you will not die you'll be alright
when you've come out on the other hand, one, one thing will have also happen to you. You will now learn that death is not the end. You will no longer be f- afraid of death. You remember what did the Bible say about us? All throughout our life, we were subject to the bondage of not even the death, the fear of death. The fear of death alone, they make people go steal. Just the fear of death. You know, that fear of death is poverty. That fear of poverty. It's not really poverty people are afraid of. It's the death that comes after poverty that they are afraid of. Poverty is the fear of death. <laughs> ah, because we were calculating that if I become poor now, before you know it, I will die. After a few, you get me. So let me go and steal. You know that those fears. And there's no trust of God that God can interject. God can provide. Praise the name of the Lord. So God wants to, it seems as though God is downsizing us. Do you get me? When I mean downsizing our soul, our vanities, our lusts, sometimes our ambitions, our lusts. It's as though God is downsizing us our on purpose. Why? So that we will come out on the other hand, on the other end, what? Stronger. And I lie you not, those years that I faced of that downsizing, I was afraid. But I knew it was God because the prophecy has come in 2015. I knew it was, I knew it was coming. I knew it was from God. It was, it was a two-year two phase of that downsizing in that training. Then I began to realize, okay, ah, I never knew I could live without cable. So it, 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 to, me, to me now, it seems like, what was I thinking? But actually, at the time, I thought that I need cable to survive. I need telos. I need shock. That is, I don't have cable at home. What would I be doing with my life? <laughs> I see problem. <laughs> so when situation hit, I had to cut the cable. And I was like, hey, what would I now be doing? You find something to do. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. What will happen is that God will take you through a phase. And it's not like God will always want you. Later on, God will bless you. Yeah, it's the king. It's all the other things we added on to you. Do you get me? It just God wants to kill that fear. That grip of death on the soul. Now, you know how we say NFE? No future ambition. The training of NFE, why the Lord will bring that training to kill your ambition, is not so that you will never become something in life. That's not the intention. You will become something in life. It's to kill the hook it has on your soul. There's a hook it has on your soul that propels you to do things. That leads you to do things that God did not lead you to do. God wants to kill that thing. God has no problem with his people becoming doctors, business owners, engineers, not that kind of thing. But many of his people, want, if they don't become the business owner, they will, they, will, they will break up with God. 
Something so little. But when you pass through God's training, you can do it. Be your doctor. Even when you are the doctor, you know who owns you. And even when you are the doctor, people, you, your lifestyle will not change one bit. See, you see, no matter how much I will ever earn or earn, my lifestyle will not change one bit. Why? I learned it through much suffering. And I'm enjoying it. So I don't need to do something. When I look at my life, there's nothing I need to change. I may drive a bigger car, but it doesn't really mean that I want to. It's, that's, that's my life. I want to. I'm so content with the car I'm driving right now. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. So, you see that God's training, God likes good things for us. But some things have power over us. Yes. And those things must die. Yes. My flesh, does that song? My flesh must die. Because of El shall die. Even his name is die. You get me? <laughs> Out of the earth, of Chaldeans. <laughs> Looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Hallelujah. El shall die. My flesh must die. Okay, help us. You know me, I don't have voice. Help, help compliment your passport. Lay down Isaac. Looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Yes. El Elohim, El Elyon, El Shaddai, my flesh shall die. That is it. So Isaac was flesh to Abraham at some point. Even though it's God who gave Isaac as a gift to Abraham. He was taking up a place that God should be at. Let me give you a little bit. Imagine if there's one, you're, you're about to give birth to a boy, a son, that they've been talking about for 25 years. It's God who I'm talking about. This boy is the promise. The promise, the blessing, the future, the issue. <laughs> when the boy is born, would he ever let his head touch the ground? The way you be, are you seeing? The boy become like an idol. That's what God was trying to disengage in Abraham. Isaac. Isaac has been a problem for many people. Isaac was a problem for Abraham. Isaac was what actually, I call him, I call him Isaac Enterprises Limited. Isaac was an enterprise. That cost Esau birthright. Esau was pleasing Isaac more than he was pleasing God. Abraham put Isaac in an esteem in his heart that he should not have put him. That God was jealous. That's why God said, did that thing he did. 
And all of us have our Isaacs. Every one of us have our Isaac. And Isaac is a thing that you carry. That if God doesn't give you that Isaac, you will leave God. Uh, oh yeah, Frank talk. What's your own? <laughs> you need to confess your sin. <laughs> Everyone has something. Is it possible that you you have different Isaacs at different stages of your life? Yes, it's very possible. But last, last, there's one, there's one, the last one, the final one is the last one standing. We call him intent. The intent of your heart. You know, the Bible talks about the thoughts of your heart and the intent. The final one is your intent. Intent is always the last man standing. It will take everlasting life to break your intent. Do you know who your, your Isaac is the person that will cause you not to do the will of God? Because you are so much, you have so much energy and attention towards him versus what God is intending for your life. This is deep. Uh, go ahead, Stella. I just wanted to get more clarification on the, thank you though. Yes. I wanted to get more clarification on the intent. Like, is it when, like, um, you know, you want to, you know, sometimes people, people are doing good, something good in the eyes of everybody's good. Yes. Is it like those kind of, but then we know that in their mind, maybe they are doing it for social media or they are doing mm-hmm. it just catch Is it those kind of, in, that kind of intent or. That is part of it. That, yeah. So you're, you're already, you're, you're kind of describing the definition of what intent is. Your, when you talk about thoughts and intent, thoughts is, you already know your thoughts, you know your evils and your wrong thoughts, obvious. Your intent is never obvious to anybody looking from the outside in. Sometimes it may be obvious to you or may not even be. Some intents are so righteous, are so good, quote-unquote good. The only problem is that who, who intended it? Is it you or God? Is you. Are you saying that? And intent, another word for intent is will. As long as the where the t- place where God's will is supposed to be sitting, you have an intention that is there. No matter how good it is, it's an intent. As long as it's your own, it is wrong. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> that is deep. That is the realm of everlasting life where those things are, all things are naked and open with whom before him. That's the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword, the dividing asunder of bones and marrow and thoughts and intent of the heart. All things are naked before whom with whom we have to do. And I just have a question. Go ahead. Okay. So um so we regard to this intent now. From what you said, like every single one of us has it. And I'm sure even as you are talking we can we are all thinking like as about defending like, every single one of us has it and it has to be broken out of every one of us. So now intense like you said is something that is best from you. Like it's not the will of God. It's you that mm. um caught it. But actually it's the enemy that allowed you to have it there. To have yes. it. Yes. Okay. So now the question I want to ask is that then does that mean that as children of God 
we should not do anything until we are sure that God has taken us on that journey and broken that thing out of us so that we know that, okay, whatever it is that we are doing is out of the will of God. I don't know, is my question making sense? It's making sense. Well, uh, now, let me now help okay. all of you. Intent is the last thing God will go for an attack. It's one of the last, latter things, stages of your growth in Christ. The reason being, it's not easy to war with your intent. It's easier to start. Christ, when, when we start preaching Christ, Christ goes after your thoughts to purify your thoughts, to exchange your thoughts, to bring better thoughts. Right? Then it's actually the everlasting Father in the realm of everlasting light that goes after your intent, thoughts and intent. All right, Jennifer, you have, a, you have a thought or a comment or a question? I have a question, Pastor James. Okay. I understand that you said intent is um, our will, which mm-hmm. may be obvious to us or not obvious to us. Yes. So can we also term it as motive? Yes, you can also term It's slightly different from motives. Okay. But it's, it's very close. Among intents, there's your intent. Then there's intents, which is motives. But be underneath all those motives is actually something that you, an overarching thing you are trying to achieve in life. Uh, or an overarching uh, image you are trying to project of your life. Okay. Yes. So is that deep? Is that, is that deep? And in fact, intent, most when I say sometimes you may know it, sometimes you may not know it, most of the time you don't know it or you don't qualify it as your intent. Why? Because it is good. Uh, uh, Intent is not obvious. Anything that is quite obvious is thoughts. When you can just judge, oh, this is evil, it's thoughts. But the reason why the intent can hide so much is that it is good. Out of your intent is what generates your motives. Then your motives, you now use thoughts. You have thoughts to carry out your motives. God help us. These are the so uh, okay, Latina, I'll come back to you. These are the deep things. These are the God deep. He searches the reins of the heart. Reins. Yeah. Reins is those corners. Those are where your intent lies. But if first has to start with your thought. This is why salvation is from precept upon precept. You can't you can't just rush it. The way they even say the precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line. It means they have to be thorough. If they are not thorough, they won't get your intent. Your intent can appear righteous to you. And you won't won't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor James. Yes. So it's a a journey of of awareness, of exercise. I was teaching you yesterday in the fellowship. uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse, There are strong meat belonging to them who by reason of use have their senses exercise those are their thoughts senses are your thoughts where your thoughts lie have your thoughts senses exercise to what the final product of it is that you can discern between good and evil the day you can discern between good and it means before exercise of righteousness you could not tell between good and evil you are calling evil good and good what and good evil are you saying that? So those descend between good and evil. That good and evil there is your intent. So it means before you exercise in righteousness, 
there was something inside you that you were calling good, but is evil. That is until you have been exercised in righteousness, you can discern that it is not actually not good, is evil. That's the last lap of the of the race. It's actually the last lap of the race where God will want you to hate iniquity, hate evil. Is that evil to kill it? This was the this was do you know when Jesus finally killed it? Garden of Gethsemane. This is when Jesus, that is conversation, was his final overcoming of intent. Can somebody help me interpret the what was the intent there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was was not was his will, not my will. Was that his will? That's what the Senate. What was that his will? Like that. Like not have, not having to die on the cross. I don't know. No. I don't know. Just... That, that, well, that's well, something would have happened <laughs> by him dying on the cross. He would have been losing something. Who was Jesus? God. Oh, he was losing his godly, like his God. Yeah, he was God. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, well, he was man too. He was also man. Who was he born yeah. from? What lineage was he born from? David. Physical or spiritual. <laughs> David, right? He was he was born of Joseph from the house yeah. of David. It means yes. he was he was an inheritor of the throne of David. That God had promised to David that of the fruit of your 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 loins shall someone sit on your throne forever. He was yeah. what did what did they crucify him? What did they write when they were crucifying him? King of the, the king of the Jews. That's what he had to die to. Woo. I never thought of that part. <laughs> that was his birthright. So Jesus could have actually been a king, even if he wasn't like... In fact, they wanted to make him king now. They're ready. They're willing. They're ready. All this anointing, all this authority, if you can use it to help us free us from the Romans. That's what, who the disciples, that's what they were expecting. Messiah, who will free the Messiah? When they when you ask a Jew, who is Messiah? They're not thinking about you Gentiles. To you, to them, they are dogs. There's no Messiah for you. What they're thinking was Jews. So if you are a Messiah, you don't just come to the street and start giving us fish and loaf. Deal with Caesar. Deal with the Romans who have been oppressing us for years. And that was his birthright. Those ones were lesser problems. Yes. That's what he had to die to. He, he was just exhibiting that. And with all his grace and anointing, he could have been... Imagine what if Jesus stayed alive rather than going to the cross to die. Do you know, you won't be hearing of King David. Great King David who ruled... No, no, no. We will be talking about Jesus who sat in the throne of his father David and ruled Israel and conquered the Romans out of the land of Israel and reestablished the kingdom of Israel and Judah. <laughs> That's what we'll be hearing about. How glorious that is. He died to... No, so he died to king of Jews, but he was raised king of kings. King of the whole earth, he was promoted. But even the intent of just the, the thing, that thing called kinging the Jews, is not, that was a righteous thing. Even Jesus will say, salvation is of who? Salvation is of the Jews. <laughs> you, know, you know Jesus somewhere, Jesus, you know he was God, he was God and man. 
He had sometimes, he had the man dimension. When he was talking to the Samaritan room, how would he talk? You see, we, you Samaritans do not know who you worship. We know who we worship. <laughs> For salvation is of the Jews. He was always talking as a Jewish man. That thing was there. He had, it was a temptation. He overcame it. Seeing the wider picture of salvation. That's why for the joy set forth ahead of him, the joy was the wider picture of salvation. He endured the cross. All right, Stella, I think somebody else wanted to. Go ahead, Stella. Okay, so um, I'm just kind of turning turn between now. So in, um, when, when you talk about intention, Sorry, sound is disturbing. So, I'm going to talk about intent and motive. So, in the case whereby um, you are following, like, you are doing, obeying commandments, doing all that you have to do, but then somewhere in your mind, you're like, there's this consolation that, okay, let me do this and so that I will attain a life. Mm-hmm. So, that is like, you know, it's just at the back of your mind, even though it's hard to, those are difficult for you to, to do, but you see to them. But then they do something like in your mind that you know you're doing this so that you are kind of like that you go to heaven and all of this. Thing. So that thing that's ringing in your mind that is telling you, is it, is it a bad thing? Is it? Is it? Is it? I don't know. So, which, uh, maybe, Jennifer, can you just mute because of some background noise? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so it's all right. Thank you. All right, so Stella, just just so repeat quickly. Like I'm still on. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So I was I was asking, you know how you're talking about intent, motives, and all of that, and I'm saying in the in the situation whereby you're being one is obeying commandments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing like the will of God. Yes. That, let me just put it that way. But it's actually difficult to do all those things. But then yes. there's something that your that keeps reminding your brain that like, see, you better do this so that you you attain eternal life, so that you go to heaven. You know, mm-hmm. it, so it's it's like okay, I'm doing this so that I attain eternal life. Is it is it? But oh, is that a bad thing? No, that's not a bad thing. It's not bad. No, that one is not bad. No, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I like that one. Something should be telling me I should have that fear. It's called the fear of God. Okay. That I need to do these things. I need to obey God. I need to obey commandments. I we I need to to have eternal life. Otherwise, I don't want to end up in Mister Lake. No, that's something. not a bad motive at all. The one when when we talk about it, that's why it's quite deep and slippery. You need some height of exercise to discern it. But when you talk about motives, intent. It's definitely something that appears very righteous that even God should be helping you attain. But God is actually desiring something even better for you than that. And as long as that thing is there, it will halt or influence the better. Do you get me? Because every every thought or action or motive it takes energy, soul energy. You have to apply yourself to bring it to pass. And as long as you apply yourself to bring about the wrong but righteous intent, you will not have time to bring about the right God intention. And that's what God began to talk about in 1 John chapter 2 when he says uh, that whosoever doeth the will of God does what? Abideth forever. But how did it start? 
How did he begin that? He say, what did he say? How did he begin that talk? He says, for any man who loves the world is what? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, the pride of life, all those things are ambitions. Ambitions are intent, things that move you. In, your intentions are things that move you to do things. Whether it's for the good. So sometimes your intention could just be like, I want to really work hard. I want to work. not for myself. Oh. I want to make $200,000 a year. No, it's not because of me. Oh. I want to help my people back home. Is that not a good thing? I say that. But as you are laboring to earn that much and help everybody that you want to help, what's happening to your spiritual growth? What's happening to your time with God? Are you saying that? So even though he appears, who can? I cannot even say that. I cannot even mention, talk against that. People need help. You get me? But really, what's happening to your soul? You are not achieving God's purpose. Even though you are, you are expending your time and energy to achieve a righteous objective. Yes. Okay. Uh huh. You had a question? Who had a question? Lotena, yes? Okay. Lotena, your question still? Uh, Jennifer, do you have a comment? No, it's okay. Like, you've spoken a lot and it has, like, I've put everything together. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Jennifer, do you also have a question or a thought, too, as well? No, I don't have any question. I'm just wondering how... I'm I'm just trusting God to help us. Yes. To actually know... The intents that are that are bad. Mm-hmm. Yes, we don't know that they are bad. We think they are good. Just like yes. the one you explained now, how yes. we can come out of it and yeah, that's just what I'm trusting God for. Yes. Yes. So how this process works? That's why he says when Paul first came to the Corinthian church, as I started, I I I looked for nothing else but what save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you know why? All those your thoughts and intents is one from crucifixion to crucifixion. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So deciding of dividing of, of bone and marrow is a killer. Two-edged sword. Who is it dividing? It's not dividing your enemies. Your bone and marrow. Descending your thoughts and intents of your heart. As it's descending it, if you if you are willing, it will kill it. It will help you kill it. And why is it a double-edged sword? One edge of this world is for killing the wrong thoughts, crucifixion. The second edge of this world is for bringing his own thought inside that place. So all Christianity is you dying and living. And living. You can't live except you die. And you will be doing that in your thoughts. And you will do that, they will keep doing it until they get to your intent. And when they get to your intent, that is your final death. Because your intent is your life. It's that thing that keeps you going. You channel and life energy from it. Ambition, when you are doing 5-year plan, 10-year plan, check it. Inside those plans, you can find your intent inside. <laughs> what you really want to achieve with life. How is it that most times our 10-year plan, God is not inside? We don't ever have 10-year plans, right? In 10 years, I will attain eternal life and I will achieve God. How come? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anybody's 5-year plan. <laughs> Nobody's 10-year plan. That's so true. That's so true. So, can you see? 
Who will, and then when you have your 10-year plan, who would you take it to to come and bless it? God. But who wrote it? You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New Year resolution. New Year resolution. It's in all those things. So you can start, actually, if you study yourself well and your plans in life, you can discern your intent. What is really driving you? What do you want to achieve? Then, once that has been discerned, you can now ask God for help. Because every intent is evil. Point blank and simple. Why is Jesus becoming king of the Jews evil? This meeting we are having will not have it. Do you know how I will be? I'll probably be in one like my village, one village in a do state. One useless place like that. <laughs> Potentially dead. If I'm not dead, then I'll be one of the evil rulers of the place. Because that's how they succeed. If Jesus did not die on the cross. Yes, you may have been hearing of him. There's one great king in Israel. But yet, what's wrong with me? I'm dead. Are you seeing evil? So if Jesus did not die on the cross, that would have been evil. Even though it was a righteous thing he could have done for the Jews. That's just why. So every of our intent, what we say, my will, not my will, that's my will is your intent. Whatever it is, no matter how good it is, no matter how perfect it is, to God it is what? It is evil. Then that's what you have to hate to receive oil of gladness. You must hate it for to receive eternal life. And when they say you should hate something, when they, you know, when, when the Bible commands you to do something, a command means if they left you alone, you will not do it. That's why they have to command. For example, if if uh, if I have to say, Stella, I need you to send me this. I know that maybe I waited for six months. Stella, they, they thought Stella never got the revelation <laughs> that she should send me this. So I have to command it. It means that by herself, she will not be able to come into doing it. That's what commandments are for. Commandments are for people who don't want to do things. That's why it's called commandments. They have to command it because by yourself you will not do it. So, but by yourself you will do your will. That's your own commandment. But by yourself you will not do God's will. So God has to command it. So it means that God's will or God's intent, we don't like it. And what, why, would, why won't we like it? Because we feel it's, it's our debt. We, it's almost like we feel like it's, we will lose ourselves in it. We will die. And what is actually dying is that your dream is dying. Because God's intention for your life is not your dream. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. But that is the end. That's the crossover. That when you get to that junction, the reward is what we call what? Eternal life. Which is what? Gladness. Joy. God will give you his own joy. So God only rewards those who have done his will. Who has achieved his intent. And 
one thing. Nobody can say, oh no, I've done God's will. No. Yet. You, can't, you are doing some commandments. But to do God's will, I, there's no way I will know that you have had to key die. So if it's like, man, show me your faith, I'll show you by what I do. It's the same way. If you say you have pleased God and done God's will, show me it by how, how you've died. What did you die to? What did it cost you to do it? It will cost your intent. It will cost your will. It will cost your life. Praise the name of the Lord. Uh, I don't know. It didn't move that way. <laughs> uh, the meeting moved that way. I have not wanted it to move that way. Because that's the end of the salvation talk. But we began with the cross. The cross is actually the beginning. And what? And the end. It begins with the cross. The cross will teach you that this way is a way of crucifixion. Dying to your thoughts so that he can bring his thoughts. Dying and finally dying to your intent so that he can bring his intent. That is all the cross is about. Then when you finish, what is is left? A dead man. Who is dead to every stimulus of this world. But alive to who? Alive to God. Alive to God. May God make us alive to Him. May God make us alive to Him. May God increase in us life, life responsiveness to God. We'll be alive to God. We'll be alive to God as a people. It will go from life to life. It will be quickened in our thoughts. It's not just, you know, there's the final alive to God, eternal life. But even today, there's a bit of weakening that has happened. There's a bit of aliveness that has happened. There's a bit of life that has been given. We'll go from life to life. We'll go from life to life. From life to life to life. From life to life to life. Until all that we are is that we are alive to God and dead to this world. In the mighty name of Jesus. God will save us. God will help us. God will bring to our remembrance these blessings. We will never stop. We will never, we will never, we will not even begin to count what we are losing anymore. For we are losing nothing. We are losing nothing. We are losing nothing. God will help us in the path of the cross. In the path of crucifixion. Because it is the foolishness of God though. But yet it is wiser than the wisdom of this world. God will kill us more. And bring his life into us. In the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, The Bible will say the thief coming but to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But the way he brings life, there's already, the reason why he can't bring life is because there's a self-existing life in us. That is called death. So he has to kill first to bring life. God will kill and bring life. He will kill and bring life. Every area of our life that is living that is not him. That is living that was not by God, not by him, not by his ways, not by his thoughts, not by his intent. I say God will kill it and God will make us alive to him. God will quicken us again to him in the mighty name of Jesus. We will go from life to life. We will never grow weary of movement in life in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for each and every one of us who will this week go and prosper in life in the mighty name of Jesus. Go and prosper in life. You will not grow dry in life from this moment forth and forever in the mighty name of Jesus we are praying amen 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 thank you everyone for joining God bless you uh, this session we started Corinthians uh, two weeks ago I, I know some of you uh, the Lord I, I think as I was ministering I think just came to me that we should go to the, we are going to go to the book of Corinthians after Ephesians 
Uh, and so that's what we have started. Uh, I don't know. Just get ready, man. This is meat. We are going to. This is dive. This is you know the two the two chapters of Corinthians is almost like thirty chapters of the Bible. Almost thirty. One is fifteen. One one is almost thirteen chapters. So we are about to dive into meat, man. Be ready. This is your year. Yes. Imagine Amen. you 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 journey Amen. through this this kind of thing this year. Oh, you'll not be the same again. You can't be okay. You know, you'll be with God. You'll be in God's sight. You'll be closer to God. You'll be changed. You'll be transformed by the mercies of God. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. God bless you. Till next time, uh, have a wonderful week. Amen. Thank you, Pastor James. God bless you. Bye, Cherubim shine forth. You dwell between the cherubim shine forth. You dwell between the cherubim shine forth. You dwell between the cherubim shine forth.